It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing, and I am your show host, Randy Fine. I cannot believe that we are at the end of August already. Wow, where does time go? Um, Did you know that there is a proven method for diffusing antagonistic interactions, or to put it simply, how to calm, upset people? Wouldn't you love to know how to do this. Today's special guest, clinical social worker and veteran mediator, Bill Eddy, is here to explain to us what he shares in his upcoming book, Calming Upset People with E-A-R, how statements showing empathy, attention, and respect can quickly diffuse a conflict, how to address a variety of potentially contentious situations, including family conflicts, workplace disputes, neighbor and stranger confrontations, emotional political discussions, and circumstances involving angry customers, clients, and patients. We have all experienced these things. Bill Eddy is a High Conflict Institute co-founder and chief innovation officer. He pioneered the High Conflict Personality Theory, HCP, and has become an expert on managing disputes involving people with high-conflict personalities. He was the senior family mediator at the National Conflict Resolution Center for 15 years, a certified family law specialist lawyer representing clients in family courts for 15 years, and a licensed clinical social worker therapist with 12 years experience. Bill has been a keynote speaker and trainer in over 30 U.S. states and 10 countries. In addition to authoring over 20 books, he writes a popular blog, on Psychology Today with over 5 million views. So we are so happy to have him with us today because this is going to be a show that's really going to help you with interactions. Um, Good morning, Bill, and welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Thank you, Randy. I'm so glad to be on. It is so wonderful to have you. This is, you know, this is a great, great topic. And as I mentioned to you, uh, people's ears are perking up because a lot of my listeners deal with difficult people, um, very difficult people, and often narcissists. So we're going to get into um, how to relate to that. But let's start off by talking about um, what, e- what EAR stands for. Yeah, so E-A-R, EAR, stands for the EAR statement, which is a very simple technique that I developed to help calm uh, upset people in any situation, and especially in a conflict. So the idea is you give a statement that shows maybe a sentence that shows empathy or a sentence that shows attention or a sentence that shows respect. So, for example, a sentence that shows empathy would be, yeah, I feel that way too sometimes. Or attention would be, tell me more. I want to understand your point of view. Or respect would be, I respect your relationship with our child or I respect your uh, uh, success with that project last week or I respect your uh, promotion or I respect your um, uh, efforts to solve this problem. And with narcissists especially, respect is one to emphasize because they're always looking for that, and that kind of gives them uh, that sense of, oh, yeah, you know, I am getting some respect here without giving up anything. So either empathy or attention or respect in a statement can quickly calm uh, somebody, but I'd say it's 90% effective. So sometimes it just even that doesn't work, but most of the time it does. It's surprising. 
Yes. And, you know, um, I often tell people when they're going into mediation with a narcissistic spouse that part of the strategy, really, that they should integrate in it is to do things like respect and show empathy and, and um, really compliment the person because that's what narcissists really want. You can disarm a narcissist very quickly by complimenting them or showing them respect. That's really, it's it. And people will say to me, well, if I've never done that before, won't that be strange? I said, no, they eat it right up. They love it. Um, So there are three steps to how we process um, others' emotions. What are these steps or three stages? Yeah, so, so emotions are contagious. And what we realize is they really um, are, we're really built to absorb other people's emotions. So if somebody's angry, pretty quickly we're angry back, sometimes even before we're conscious of it. So when, when other people, let's say, are angry at us, so the amygdala in your brain is always looking out for danger. And so the amygdala says, danger, danger, you have to fight or flee or freeze and hide. And so there's that. Then we seem to have mirror neurons in our brain that make us mirror other people's emotions. And that's negative and positive. So, of course, negative anger makes us, our face get angry back. But empathy seems to also be a positive um, Uh, emotions are contagious, that we mirror empathy, we mirror people's joy, their their positive emotions. But also we can override these automatic responses um, by consciously telling ourselves uh, that we don't have to get upset right now. It's like your amygdala in the middle part of the brain just reacts just to get you safety instantly. But the prefrontal cortex can override that and say, whoa, wait a minute, I'm in charge here, and this isn't a crisis, and we're going to give the person an ear statement. So you can override and do that. Um, I also mentioned in here is, is schemas, and schemas are things you learn over your lifetime as core beliefs that you no longer are really conscious of. And so a schema might be, Uh, You can't trust anybody, somebody that's maybe been abused, had various bad experiences, including in their family, may have grown up with you can't trust anybody, and now a new friend or somebody disappoints them, and the emotions just trigger, get triggered for you uh, to respond with anger or fear, etc. So... We, we absorb all of this, but as I said, we can also override it consciously with practice once we realize we're getting emotionally hooked. Okay. And you, you talk about, like, changing our, um, our face, our expressions, and things like that, because that's a big part of communication, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And our nonverbal communication is much more... Uh, important than the actual words we use. And so if your facial expression is communicating empathy and respect, um, sometimes you can't think of anything really super smart to say. Just say something that's reasonable, but look empathetic and respectful. You know, the one thing that gets me when I'm having like a customer service issue with somebody or I'm the customer, actually. When they start uh-huh. with the ma- when they start with the ma'am, ma'am, this is how we do it, <laughs> ma'am. As soon as I hear that, yeah. I'm like, this person does not care about me as a customer. <laughs> in, in a sense, what they're doing is turning you into a role and not as a person. And so you're right. When you get treated that way, they think that they're connecting with you, but they're actually pushing you away. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right about that. It does. It, it takes away the personalization. Um, so let's see. You, there's, 
you mentioned an ear statement um, like this. I hear how frustrated you are about how long the repairs are taking. It's awful when that happens and you are delayed. Don't worry. I will pay full attention to your concerns and relay them to the proper person. I really appreciate and respect the helpful information you have gathered, which may speed up getting this resolved. Great statement. We should all have that tattooed on our arm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I tried to put a lot of words in the book so people can pull out phrases that they can use. So, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's easy It's easy when you're not under pressure, but when you're under pressure, your mind starts to go blank, and that's why it's good having these phrases handy. Now, there are people that are just out there frustrated and just want to cause trouble and bully people. Can these people be calmed down with ear? Sometimes they can and sometimes they can't, but I think it's worth a try. And so you give them an ear statement, and they are just insistent on continuing to be angry and difficult. Give them another ear statement. There's still no impact. I think two ear statements, and you're done. Um, Then say, well, I've got to go now. I've got to be somewhere, or let's change the subject, or let's just agree to disagree on this. So you're right. There's some people that just will refuse to calm down. We think of them as high-conflict people, and high-conflict people include perhaps about 10% of people. But we developed this method to calm down high-conflict people because most of the time they do respond. Like you said, a narcissist wants to hear respect. They want to hear uh, compliments. And so those usually do calm them down. But there are a few people that will resist your efforts. And what I like to say is if you're given two ear statements without any positive result, then move to problem solving or move out of the discussion. You're you're absolutely right. My husband and I are in in a business where people, um, it's it's a service business. And so people don't put so much value on service as as much as they would put on a product. And so when something doesn't go right, or sometimes they just want it for free and they come in and create a problem um, because ultimately they want to get it for free. And so they come back and they complain. And there's nothing that we can do because they've already decided when they came in that they want something free from us. And these people have been very difficult to deal with. Do you have any suggestions for that? Well, I think the kind of statement that you said earlier that we had, it was a customer service statement. I think just just stating, again, empathy. I can see your frustration. I know this is hard. Um, this, is, this is what we have to do. Um, this is the, the reality of the situation, and I know it's frustrating, but this is, you know, I feel frustrated mm-hmm. too sometimes, so I can understand that, but this is what we can do and what we can't do. That okay. Of, so you're setting okay. limits with an ear statement. Okay. That's, that's perfect, actually. What is, um, how does reflective listening work with this? Well, reflective listening is a good skill to have. And basically, reflective listening reflects back what you've heard the other person say. So let's say you were 10 minutes late and, and the person's angry with you. Reflective listening would be, um, you know, I hear that you're angry with me because I was 10 minutes late. Am I correct? And the person say, yeah, you're right. I am angry with you because you were 10 minutes late. So you reflect back pretty much what the the essence is of what they're saying, what their emotion is, and what the content is. That's the essence of reflective listening, which is a good skill. Ear statements go one step beyond, and that is you give them some empathy um, or attention or respect. So you could say, and, and we try not to reflect anger because reflecting anger tends to reinforce anger. So what you want to do is try to give empathy for the feeling underneath the anger, because anger is a secondary emotion. Underneath that is usually fear, hurt, 
uh, jealousy, frustration, something like that. So you could say, you know, I, I can see how frustrating this is. Um, I can understand that you're concerned about the schedule. Um, and so you're giving them some empathy, not just reflecting back what they said. And this is so important. This kind of communication is so important in um, <clears throat> relationships, marriages, things like that, <clears throat> because most people don't know how to do this, and they get everything is emotionally charged when you're in a relationship until you learn to let it go. <laughs> so uh, right. this, is, this, is, this really works good for relationships, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, couples, romantic relationships – um, really need to be aware that you can do this because sometimes you get into an argument, I'm right, no, I'm right, and the relationship's more important than the argument, but people get stuck feeling like I can't give an inch here. Well, give someone empathy, attention, and respect. You haven't given an inch in terms of the subject, but you've acknowledged that you're on the same team. You're in a relationship. I can see how frustrating this is for you. Um, I can understand how important this issue is to you. And so you're, you're acknowledging the other person with your ear statement, and that tends to calm down uh, conversations, even for couples. Uh, you've got to be able to have the ability to shift it into the positive to sustain a relationship. You know, there's some research, um, John and Julia Gottman, they're marriage specialists, and they've really studied um, communication in couples. And one of the things they found that is in a healthy couple, healthy and happy couple, there's five positive statements to every one negative statement. So, of course, they have negative statements, but they have five times more positive statements. And sometimes today people get so frustrated uh, with each other that they're just giving negative statements to each other. And unless you can shift and turn that around, uh, you eventually sink the relationship. So ear statements are one easy technique to turn that around. When people are upset, especially in a relationship, they want to know that they've been heard. That's really, you know, and when the other person just takes a defensive stance, then the person doesn't feel like they're hurt, and that's what escalates it. The person, one person doesn't feel like they're hurt, the other gets defensive, and then the first person gets defensive, and then it's like this ladder of defensiveness until they're both exploding. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, so what, one, one of the things I want to emphasize is the attention part of the EAR is tell me more and then listen to the person for three or four or five minutes, and then they really do feel heard. Mm, it is. It, it makes such a difference. You know, I know a lot of women feel like this. A lot of women feel like their husbands don't hear them because, I mean, it obviously can work both ways, but I think it's very common with women that they feel like they're not heard. And because men just are not, they don't emote as much. Women are more emotional beings. And so they start emoting and then the husband just like shuts them off and walks away. <laughs> and um, and then, then they feel even worse. And it could just be such a small issue. And if they would just be heard on that issue, it would all be gone in a second, Right. And you're, you're right. They're, women are more attuned to emotions and more comfortable with emotional expression and men in general, although I've worked with a lot of couples in conflict, and there are some where the woman is the more uh, avoidant of conflict and the man is more emotional. But in general, um, mm -hmm. it's true. And this is something where teaching men to give ear statements um, will help improve their relationships. And in some ways, um, men are more comfortable talking about respect and women are more comfortable talking about empathy. Um, but I think everybody can learn all three of these and it will help couple relationships. There's, there's a funny... Um, YouTube called It's Not About the Nail, 
And I tell people about that, and I mention that in the book, and it's a man and a woman talking about an issue, and the man wants to solve the problem, and the woman wants empathy. And so it's really kind of humorous how they they work that out. But it's a really good example. For men, we have to learn it's not all about solving problems. Sometimes the other person just wants to know you care and can empathize with how they're feeling. And I think sometimes it helps if a woman explains that to the man and say, just just hear me out. I, I need to know that you're listening and that you care about what I'm saying. You don't have to fix anything, and this can go pretty quickly. Because uh, some men fear like when we're sitting down for half an hour and getting told how we did everything <laughs> wrong. But if you can just listen for a minute, really full concentration, people feel so much better. They do. It really does work. And I think um, I think men, you know, and, and I don't mean to be so, um, you know, to divide the, the the sexes this way, but but men tend to want to solve problems. They're, they are problem solvers for the most part, and women just want to share. They want to emote. They want to share. So this is you know if, if couples could learn this from the beginning, they would have you know there's it would be so much more smooth sailing along through the relationship if they could just learn that this is the way that they are. You know I think. Uh, a lot of couples think that they can change the other person. Mm. They marry them for one reason, and then they think they, you know, they try to curb them to their way of doing things instead of understanding. And especially in um, marriages with a female and a male, uh, we're just different beings to begin with. I mean, we, we function differently. We think differently, right? Yes, and it, it's interesting you say it this way. I've, I've always got a kick out of the saying that um, when men men marry, marry a woman uh, hoping she'll never change, and women marry a man hoping he will change. And so it's kind of a, a mixed uh, expectations there. But mostly it's communicating about all that stuff because – you know, most couples can make it work if they have decent communication. doesn't even have to be excellent communication, but decent communication. And also taking turns is a big part of it. If you say, look, honey, let's sit down for five minutes and just take turns here. I have something I want to talk about, and I want to hear what's going on for you these days. Yes. Let's talk a little bit. We talked about defensiveness, but let's just focus in a little bit more about that because this, when somebody is what they, they may feel attacked just because somebody else is having a hard time. And our first instinct is to get defensive. How do we, what do we say to ourselves? Um, I mean, we know, I know we can use the EAR, but what do we say to ourselves to understand that we, we don't have to get defensive just because someone else is having a problem. Well, first of all, is saying a couple things to ourselves, such as what you just said. I don't have to get defensive here. He's just upset or she's just upset. And by learning ear statements, the principle of ear statements is instead of making it about you, is to make it about the other person. So rather than getting defensive, someone says, Bill, it's all your fault. You're doing it all wrong. And my inclination is to get defensive and say, no, I'm not. I'm doing it right and you're doing it wrong. But instead, if I think of an ear statement, is I think, what's going on for that person? Let's say it's a coworker and you've got a deadline. You can say, I know you're worried about the deadline. Let's see what we can do rather than defending myself, because I don't have to. It's not about right or wrong. What's going on for them is they're frustrated and worried about the deadline. So if you can tune into what's under their anger, and a lot of times people are worried about something. So you can say, I, I know you're worried about the deadline. Let's, let's just get on with this, see what we can do. 
Um, so you're telling yourself, remember, it's not about me. And I mentioned at the end of the book about giving yourself ear statements. And that's, that's my favorite ear statement, which is when someone's upset with me, it's not really about me. It's about their frustration or whatever. So I can empathize and give them respect and pay attention rather than defending myself. Plus, defending the past just as goes down a rabbit hole and, you know, you get stuck in the past. It's more, let's give an ear statement and talk about what we can do now. So it's what you tell yourself. Your self-talk is a key, I think, to dealing with, with any conflict. And ear statements give you a tool to make it shift away from you and back back to the other person so you can connect with them. Mm, very good. Sometimes, you know, what I'm, what I'm thinking is, so there are, what if there's, um, let's say there's a couple and they've been arguing a certain way and they've, it's always been that way and now all of a sudden they learn this ear method. How do you bridge that? Because all of a sudden, if you begin dealing with this a different way, that person is going to say, what if you become a psychologist? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so how do we bridge that? Well, I think it helps in a couple relationship to talk about both of you learning and practicing the technique. And actually, your partner in a couple relationships is a good person to practice with for other situations, with other relatives, friends, coworkers, neighbors. So let's take turns practicing this. I have a situation that's coming up uh, tomorrow with my, uh, my cousin. And I want to practice with you. So I think, you know, openly talking about learning this technique, then when they use it with each other, they'll, they'll recognize that they're using it, but it feels good. And I must say, you know, my wife is a social worker uh, as well as I'm a clinical social worker and lawyer. Um, but she, she's a good sport with this stuff. Sometimes she says, I know what you're doing, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's what but I mean. Then, yeah, but then she gives me ear statements too, and I realize I appreciate that. So I think it's being overt about it and, and practicing it, and it feels good when the other person says, you know, I know how hard that can be especially if they've gone through that too. Um, there's some things both my wife and I have each in our own lives before we met each other went through that were hard times that have some similarities but were different. And sometimes things remind us of those days. And we can say, I, I know that was probably triggering for you or I, I know that that's upsetting. Um, and that calms us. Uh, and also respect when when your partner does something that you really appreciate. Uh, then, you know, I like fixing things and she likes cooking. And if I want to keep her cooking and she wants to keep me fixing things from time to time, we need to say that was just really great, uh, that meal or that project. So I think it's it's something to to practice with each other. I agree. And, and I, I wrote down the word practice because, yeah, if this is something, I guess as you, um, the more you do it, the more natural it becomes. Initially, I guess, it's, I guess it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, and it's good to have a couple phrases that you're ready to use in case you're caught by surprise. So, for instance? Well, for me, the, the ready phrase I have for myself is, it's not about me. And the phrase I say to the other person is, wow, I can see how upset you are about this. Or I can <laughs> see how important this is to you. And so I get caught by surprise. Of, wow, that's really important to you. I didn't, wasn't aware of that. Um, I'll listen. And tell me more, I'll listen is another one. And so sometimes when we say to someone... I know you're upset about this. And then they go, I am not upset <laughs> because maybe they don't even realize, maybe they don't even realize that they are upset. 
they're coming across is upset. So that word can sometimes put people off. Is so how is there a better word to use? Um yeah, maybe like frustrated. Um I think okay. I try to use I try to use that I can understand your frustration. That's probably yes. the one I use the most. Um because saying that you see someone's angry or they're upset, I, I probably shouldn't have used upset there because I think that's that's a little more of a triggering word uh, for yes. people. But I understand your frustration because everybody gets frustrated. Um, that tends to be, oh, yeah, you know, you can see how frustrated I am. It is a frustrating, and you can say it's a frustrating situation rather than you're a frustrating person. <laughs> um, and that tends to calm people. Yes, right. We don't want to label people. We don't want to put people on guard. You, um, in your book, you say you have um, a section that says avoid promising to fix things to calm a person. Um, this is do 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 a lot of people do that? Well. I, you know, I, I was teaching this originally to professionals, and they often, like lawyers, counselors, mediators, feel like it's their job to fix things. And so they think, oh, calm down, I'll take care of it, I'll fix it for you, I'll call you when it's all resolved, or something like that. And a lot of times, that's not what the person wanted. The person wanted some empathy, or they wanted some respect. And so professionals, in a sense, just like man in a man-woman relationship, switch to fixing things, solving problems, and forget that. And probably the classic example are doctors, is you go to the doctor, and a lot of doctors are ready to fix whatever the problem is, and then you go home, and, and someone says, so how was your visit with the doctor today? And they say, terrible. He was really mean and abrupt. Or he was really nice and, and I, I like him so much. And it's because of how they communicate often even more than um, that they talked about the problem and how they're going to fix it. So they're teaching doctors now much more how to communicate um, better really with empathy, attention, and respect types of uh, language. So if, if you say, well, I'll fix it as a way to calm people down, that sometimes makes them even more upset because you're ignoring how they feel. Right. And I know my son is, um, is a fourth-year resident, um, resident surgeon. And ah. I, remember when he, I remember when he was in medical school and, you know, when he was taking these courses about, uh, you know, about how to communicate with your clients. But residency really jades them. <laughs> they, get so, they get so, like, stone cold from residency because they're overworked and underpaid. Um, but I hope that, you know, I'm hoping that he comes back, you know, once he's in his own practice and he's working with his own patients and not just being fed like a machine, um, I guess that'll come back. But, yeah, but residency really does jade them. Yeah, and I've actually done trainings um, at with hospitals, administration, and staff, and really teaching this stuff to just slow down for 30 seconds and give somebody an ear statement can save you 10 minutes of stress and conflict, and and they like it. But you're you're right that they're already done. They're already. Uh, physicians and uh, nursing staff rather than uh, the pressure they're under. Um, I'm sure you can probably give uh, him some ear statements uh, for what it's like going through that 24-hour-a-day uh, yeah. shift, that kind of work. Absolutely. Sometimes it's 36. <laughs> it gets crazy. Ah. <laughs> yeah. um, so you said before, but you also – oh, you said you don't – you said in here, you don't have to listen forever. At, at what point do we stop listening? Key thing. And this is something we've learned about high-conflict people, which include people who are narcissistic, people with other, other um, personality problems. 
but high conflict people are stuck in conflict and they don't seem to grieve and heal loss. So they don't get things off their chest. They can talk forever about a problem that happened before because they're trying to get it off their chest, but it doesn't work. They don't go through the five stages of the grieving process, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. They don't go through that. So what we've learned is rather than waiting until they're done to get it off their chest, because they don't end up getting it off their chest, is we've learned it's better to distract them and focus them on a task and the way to distract them is with an ear statement and say, wow, I hear how frustrating that is. Now, what I suggest is we talk about what we can do now. Look at our options for what we can do now. And that's a way to, to kind of shift the conversation from waiting until a high-conflict person is done venting. Um, but I think with anybody... If it feels like it's just going on and on as venting, it's often better to interrupt that with an ear statement and say, you know, I, I feel for you. I hear how sad and how difficult that was. Let's look at what we can do now. Or let's order dinner, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Change the subject with an ear statement. You know, you made a really good point, and it's actually something – I love doing these shows because I always learn. Uh, I'm uh-huh. learning a lot from you, but, but something that just stood out at me is I really never thought about the fact that uh, high conflict people or people with personality disorders don't grieve their thought processes. They don't grieve what bothers them. That's really a, a powerful point. And so that's, I guess that's one of the reasons why we have to skirt around it because they're, they're never going to be resolved in what's upsetting them. Is this kind of, am I yes. getting it right? Yes, and that, that's a big shock to people, and it makes their life so much easier once they learn that. And if you're dealing with narcissists, they're really one of the people, one of the types of people that have this lack of ability to heal loss and so they're constantly trying to rework what happened in the past trying to reinvent uh rewrite the script of what happened in the past to make themselves look good and being instead of being able to say you know that was a hard day and i know i shouldn't have said that and let's move on Hmm. um they're always fighting about that so it's better if the other person can say you know i can see that was a hard time Let's look at what we can do now. So you're right. And once people realize this, uh, accepting the limitations of listening and letting people vent, um, it really helps people feel better. Yes. I mean, this is an amazing thing that I'm definitely going to be sharing with people. The thing is that by the time these things, these statements happen, the the narcissist or the borderline or the antisocial person gets upset, that other person is so triggered and so traumatized that they can't think through this to, to do that. So this would require a lot of mindfulness and practice in order to do it. But, yeah, but it's a very, very good thing to know. Let me add to that that it is good to role play with a friend or or positive family member an upcoming conversation with a narcissist or borderline or antisocial that you know is going to be triggering and hard. And what I find is after role playing that with people, I do a lot of online consultation um, that that people feel like I feel more confident now. I already I have words to say. Um, and I know what to expect. So that practice and preparation can really help. Yes, it, it really can. So you talk about, you also talk about, uh, or you pose the question, I should say, should you apologize? Some people do apologize to try to diffuse things. What is this about? Why do we do this? Well, it's, it's a tricky thing. I should mention 
that we strongly discourage apologizing in writing to a high-conflict person because they have a lot of all-or-nothing thinking. And if you say, I apologize for this little thing over here, what they read is that you agree that it's all your fault. And they (laughs) hold on to that and bring out that paper every so often. Remember when you admitted it's all your fault. So we discourage apologizing and writing to high-conflict people. In person, it, it's not, you know, it doesn't matter as much, but that's not really what calms people. What calms people is connecting with what they're experiencing. And so that's why ear statements. I have empathy for, for your sadness or your frustration. Um, I'll pay attention, tell me more. That's worth more than an apology most of the time. Just listening, um, people really want to be heard, like you said earlier on, um, and giving them respect. So saying I'm sorry versus I really respect your uh, commitment to this or your, the project success that you've, you're having. So ear statements are, are much stronger than an apology. Mm, you're absolutely right. This works well, let me so add well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Add something, and that is apologies are about the past, and it's much better to focus on the present and what you're going to do in the future because once you're getting into the past, that triggers a lot of their trying to rewrite history. And so in general, it's better to steer clear of the past and focus on what to do now. Sorry I interrupted. No, no, that's a really good statement. <laughs> that's really good. Now, please, please interrupt me because you have such wonderful things to say. Okay. Setting, setting limits on a high-value employee. This is a tough one, but, you know, it's tough until you understand this concept of the EAR statements. But let's just, just give us an example of – because sometimes you have these really sensitive – um, employees and but they're doing something that you wish they wouldn't do and it's very hard to confront them so you know what do you do like like say you have a manager who isn't putting in all the time that he or she needs to put in uh, but they're doing a great job so what would you do what would you say to that person if they they really believe they're doing a good job and they don't have to um, put in all the time? Well, generally, the, the strategy, I think, is start out with an ear statement is, you know, we really appreciate how, how um, creative you've been. I've done some trainings with people in the high-tech companies, and they have a lot of employees who are brilliant and difficult. And so they want their brilliance, but not their difficulties. And so saying we really respect, uh, you know, your work on that project, that was really um, uh, so great, such uh, some breakthroughs with that. Um, I I also need to tell you um, that uh, management is requiring us to be on time uh, going forward. We've got some... uh, projects coming up and they need everybody uh, here on time in the morning. So it's really important uh, that you get here at nine uh, and everybody on the team. Uh, and that's really going to impress upper management. So in my mind, you give people an ear statement and then you give them an outside reason for the behavior you want. And a lot of times you can just say there's a new policy and, and so we need everybody to fill out this form and get it in by Friday afternoon, or we need everybody to do something. So that doesn't make them feel as singled out and give them an ear statement. You know, like I know you, it's hard getting here on time because you've got to get your kids to school. Um, and, and I'll help you figure out how you can uh, get here on time, something like that. So mm. ear statement and then setting limits. Mm. That sounds so good. So, okay, let's see. Chapter eight, ear for police situations. I thought this was interesting. Can you give us some kind of examples of how this would go down? 
Yeah. So I included one because I wanted to hit current topics, and so I included one that's a that's a real it was a real situation. Uh, someone I know who's a police officer told me about this with the uh, the protests last year around the death of George Floyd. At one point, a group of protesters uh, went up on a freeway, and went up the ramp and blocked a freeway, and traffic backed up for a couple miles. And the police went up there, too. And there was a bit of a standoff for a while. They're, I don't know, 50 feet, 50 feet apart or something. Um, and, and we've seen these kinds of things in the news, um, but often when they turn violent. In this case... Uh, he said, the, my friend said, there's one of their, one of the police officers are really skilled at communicating with people in difficult situations. And so he went, um, that officer went over to the protesters and said, you know, and individually. So it was a non-threatening, like, you know, who's, who's kind of the leader or leaders of your group? And People pointed at somebody, and so he went to talk to that person with relaxed posture and said, you know, wow, this has been pretty impressive. You've got news helicopters. You've got a lot of attention here, and uh, this is pretty impressive. Um, And I I need to tell you that um, the people that are backed up now are going to start getting irritated with you folks um, because they're not going to be able to get home uh, for dinner. And it may be that you've made your impact here, you've gotten the attention you were looking for, and that the sooner you're able to disperse, the more likely the people are to pay attention to your message rather than just being angry with you. So you might want to think about how they're feeling and that you, this may be a good time to uh, clear the freeway and let them get home to dinner. And so the, 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 the person with the protesters said, well, you know, like, we'll think about that. And the police officer walked away, walked back to the other officers. And in about five minutes, the protesters got up and walked off the highway. That's brilliant. Now, you didn't see and you didn't see that in the news. What you see in the news is people throwing things at each other, you know, uh, smoke grenades or bottles or whatever. But this is the kind of thing I think has happened a lot and just doesn't get attention. But this is how it can be done. They gave a lot of respect and it was mutual and the problem was solved. Amazing. That is just a brilliant way to handle that. And then you have this chapter about ear for political discussions. This one hits home for me, and I guess probably for everybody, because there's always going to be a political zealot that just doesn't want to let go of their opinion. And I know I have them in my life. So, so how, do we, how, do we, how do we deal with this? Well, first of all, I want to say I include a couple examples of the fact that when people are far away from each other, it's easy to dislike and disagree. But if you're face-to-face or talking one-to-one or in a small group, it's hard to really see the persons as an enemy. And I have two examples in here. One was uh, they got 500 people together representing the whole U.S. um, for a weekend Um, to talk about politics in small groups and one-to-one. And they did that. And what they found after the weekend is people, you know, Democrats, Republicans, people didn't change um, parties or reverse their opinions, but they softened their opinions. They didn't see things as all or nothing anymore. They could empathize with why People felt strongly on different issues because of their own experiences. And they found that people not only softened their, their views, became less polarized, but that many people liked each other. And some friendships were formed that would probably never have occurred otherwise and would go into the future. Um, I 
I also give an example of, you know, current stuff, political discussion, if you want, about masks and, and not wearing masks. And I have a dialogue about that where each person could shift the conversation into one that uh, gave an ear statement and calmed the situation with respecting each other's rights, each other's fears. Um, key really is this kind of one-to-one -one or small group communication. We become much more human to each other rather than an evil other. So uh, these, these experiences, I mentioned another where there was a group of uh, liberal uh, Jews from a synagogue in New York City got together for a couple weekends with a group of prison guards, uh, conservative prison guards in Michigan. Wow. And, and they stayed at each other's homes, uh, cooked meals for each other, showed each other where they worked in their neighborhood. And they were just shocked that the other people were so human and they liked each other. And I think they plan to do that like once a year or something. And it was just truly amazing. People can get along close up. It's at a distance that it's easy to hate other people. That's so true. What a great point. And the last thing I want to bring, because we're running out of time, but I want to talk about the armed stranger. How do we defuse that? That is, you know, I had a situation years ago where um, I was pretty much boxed in and my life was threatened and nobody was around. I was in, it was a, a home invasion and everything like that. And the only tool I had was my ability to get into somebody's head. And so mm. I started speaking about um, his family, his mother, mother, I think mother was a really sensitive one. You know, do you have a good relationship with your mother? Do you have, a girlfriend, you know, and I was able to diffuse the situation and keep it as calm as possible. But what do we do with people who are just nervous and they just want to get in and out? Yeah, well, I think, again, that empathy, attention, and respect, even in the worst situation, the one I gave is similar to what you just described, um, the, the, the situation I read about is a very real situation about 15 years ago. I read about it maybe 10 years ago. Um, there was a prisoner who escaped from jail at a, or, or uh, from court at a hearing, and he killed three people, and then he was on the loose, and it was in the news. People said there's this guy on the loose. Um, this young woman was moving into a new apartment, and he – he basically takes her hostage in her own apartment and she knew who he was and he killed three people that day and he held a gun to her and what she did mm -hmm. for about eight hours is gave him empathy, attention and respect, connected with him like you mm -hmm. said about as the person's mother. She connected with him about having a young child because she also had a young child. Wow. She also... She also said she could picture the, this big guy as like a six-year-old boy, kind of lost, confused, scared, um, and didn't know what was going to happen. And by the end, by the next morning, by dawn, she had calmed him down so much, he agreed to let her go, and he agreed to turn himself in to the police. And wow. she left. She left, she called the police, the police showed up, and he came out with his arms up, and there was no violent confrontation. But I like to use that example when people say, why should I have to be nice if somebody's being mean to me? And I always think of that example. Sometimes being nice to someone being mean to you may save your life. Yes, yes. And I, I said to him, why did you, why did you choose me? Because it was a home mm. invasion while, while I was sleeping. Why did you choose wow. me? And, and he said, oh, that's well, so hard. Been, yeah. And he said, I've been watching you, and I wanted to go out with you. And I said to him, I, I lightened it up, and I said, 
why didn't you just ask me? I probably would have said yes. So I tried to be very human with him. And, you know, while my whole body was trembling with fear, but um, yes. I, was able to, I was able to make it through the situation. So it does work. But, you know, I was oh, saying that's to amazing. My, yeah, I was saying to myself through the whole thing, if this person is a psychopath or a sociopath, what I'm doing is not going to work. But if, if it does work, then I know I'm dealing with somebody who has some empathy, some human empathy, and then I can work with that. So I tried to figure that out as soon as possible. And, um, but yes, that's, that's really incredible. So for, so if somebody's coming, you know, so what about, is there a way to do it with a school shooter or somebody like that? I mean, well, I think, you know, you hear about FBI hostage negotiators and, and such, um, and they, they use techniques like this, um, over the phone. They try to get a phone to the person, but, you know, most of the school shooters have made up their mind um, and aren't having conversations with anybody. They just show up and, you know, either sneak in their weapons and then start shooting or they show up and start shooting. There's no discussion. And, of course, that kind of situation, um, you know, you've got to get to safety. And I mentioned in the book there's some situations where don't even try to calm the person with a near statement, try to get away. Uh, right. Domestic violence, for example, if you can get away, do that. <clears throat> if you then use your statements to calm the person. But, yeah, we've got a lot of violence today that even this won't reach. So hopefully people give your statements before things get to that level. You're right. And if if we raise our children with this kind of rationality and understanding of each other, then you reduce that in the future. I mean, we, we need to change the way we all talk to each other. We need to calm this world down so that our children can grow up in a healthy way and not become school shooters because they're so frustrated and there's no end to their frustration. So uh, we're almost out of time, but we're talking about your book, Calming Upset People with Ear, E-A-R, how statements showing empathy, attention, and respect can quickly diffuse a conflict. Uh, Bill, this is, a, this is a fantastic book, and so everything I really talked about today has been in this book. And um, this is available through all channels, online channels and booksellers. Yeah. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you can order it through independent booksellers. You can also get it from our website, uh, highconflictinstitute.com. That's www dot high conflict institute dot com um, okay. and we also have a lot of other resources videos articles consultation etc oh great okay and and you do one-on-one -on -one consultations with people yes we do they sign up on the website and I do those uh, and also uh, Megan Hunter my uh, business partner she has a master's in business, and she does more of the business consultations. I do more of the legal and family and uh, uh, neighbor consultations. So, mm. yep, we're available for that. This is such important work that you're doing. Um, it really goes to the core of, of human behavior. It really can help so many situations. And I'm so glad I got a chance to read your book and talk to you about this. I just think it's fantastic. And um, I know that my listeners are going to apply this because it's not a hard thing to do and it will change so many situations. So I so appreciate you being my guest today. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for being so enthusiastic about the subject because I think you're <laughs> right. This will really help a lot of people. Yes, I do. All right. Well, it's great talking to you, and really have a great day, okay? Take care. You too. Okay, thank you. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlifeatrandyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.